0: This is StoryBeat, Storytellers on Storytelling. StoryBeat explores how artists and creators of all kinds craft their stories. So join us as we reveal how master storytellers develop and build brilliant stories that people the world over love and adore. I'm Steve Kudin, coming to you from the Center for Media Innovation on the campus of Point Park University in the heart of downtown Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My guest today is one of the most forward-thinking leaders in the New York theater scene, the dynamic, groundbreaking producer Ken Davenport, who's widely known for his unique and innovative marketing style. First, a bit of background. Ken is an award-winning producer of over a dozen Broadway shows, including Deaf West Theater's Spring Awakening, The Visit... Mothers and Sons, Speed the Plow, Godspell, The Bridges of Madison County, Allegiance, Chinglish, Oleana, Macbeth, Will Farrell's You're Welcome, America, and Kinky Boots, for which he won the Tony. Kinky Boots is still running after four years at the Al Hirschfeld Theater, and in just a few days, Ken opens two new Broadway shows, The Play That Goes Wrong and the musical version of Groundhog Day. Ken's also produced six off-Broadway shows, including Alter Boys, The Awesome 80s Prom, That Bachelorette Show, and Daddy Longlegs. In addition to his own work, Ken was recently named the executive producer of North America for Andrew Lloyd Webber's Really Useful Group. Beyond theater, he's produced an award-winning documentary entitled These Magnificent Miles, On the Long Road with Red Wanting Blue?, and an award-winning TV pilot entitled The Bunny Hole, which has appeared at the L.A. Indie Film Festival and the Orlando Film Festival, among others. Prior to his career as a producer, Ken was a company manager and general manager for Broadway shows and national tours, including Showboat, Ragtime, Chicago, Candide, Thoroughly Modern Millie, Gypsy, and a little show I know something about called Jekyll and Hyde The Musical. Upcoming projects include the new musical Getting the Band Back Together, which premiered at the George Street Playhouse, and Revivals of the Great White Hope, Mass Appeal, and Once on This Island. Can I, I can't tell you what a great thrill it is for me to have you as a guest on Story Beat. Welcome.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me here. It's a thrill. I'm a big fan.
0: Oh, well, th- thank you for saying so. That's You've just made my entire month. <laughs> um, so let's, let's uh, talk about some of the process of being a producer and what you do. Um, I, you know, for a long time, I've talked to many people about producers and how different producers produce. Many people think that producers are not necessarily creative types. I know that you are creative, and so I'm wondering... Uh, of all the different kinds of shows that you work on, musicals, dramatic plays, comedies, motion pictures, and so on, is there a genre that you prefer working on from a creative standpoint?
1: Well, that's, that's an interesting question. I mean, look, I'm a musical guy. It was, I've been involved with theater since the age of five, but I never thought about it as a viable career until I saw Les Mis when I was 16 years old. I actually consider myself part of what I call the Les Mis generation, I'm 44 now, I think there's a whole bunch of us in our early 40s, I guess mid-40s now, that are in the business uh, because of Les Mis. I remember seeing it and saying, oh my gosh, I, I want to do that, I want to be involved with a show that has an effect on an audience like Le Mis had an effect on me. So I do love be working on musicals first and foremost. That said, I will say that creativity is exists in very different ways on shows. Most people think being creative can just mean, oh, I came up with the idea, which I've done for many of my shows, or I wrote it, which I've done for a couple of my shows, or directed it, or whatever that is. But I can find a lot of creativity when I'm just solely a producer as well. I, I What I loved about producing Godspell was trying to come up with very creative ways to market that show to actually the business model was creative and that we you know we crowdfunded it it was the first ever crowdfunded Broadway musical
0: I know you re- uh, you, you really push the, you pushed the envelope very heavily on that and really changed the way people thought about how to produce shows for sure
1: yeah and that for me, is the definition of being creative. So I think there, no matter what role you're having on a show, there's a way to be creative with it.
0: Um, so, okay, when you're looking for something uh, in the world to produce, now, aside from you creating it yourself, what do you look for in stories? What, what attracts you to a story that you say, yeah, that's, that's something that I think that I would w- like to get involved in? What, is there some element that usually attracts you?
1: Well, I have to tap into the mind of that 16-year-old kid that used to come in from suburban Massachusetts to New York and try to think about what what he loved because that is our audience. It's a suburban audience, it's a tourist crowd, right? Broadway, 65% of our audience is from is from other places outside the tri-state area. And I have to think about that a little bit, and you know, and I, I say this all the time, and that when people ask me what do I do, I say I'm a Broadway producer. I don't say I'm a theater producer. I say I'm a Broadway producer, because I have to look for things that work for this ten block radius right here in the heart of Times Square on Broadway, and that's a big difference from what works at a nonprofit theater in Madison, Wisconsin, or Chicago, wherever that may be.
0: So, so you're really um Uh, focused pretty much exclusively on commercial theater, big, big projects.
1: Yeah, without a doubt. And that said, do I like to challenge my audience and the market here for sure? Yes. I, you know, Spring Awakening, Deaf West Spring Awakening, which is one of the shows I'm most proud of producing, on the onset is not the most commercial property ever, period. Spring Awakening, on itself, never mind when you add deaf west 's incredible contribution to it, that was challenging but i I look to push the boundaries as well i don 't like to bowl down the middle, so I look for shows that satisfy the audience, but at the same time challenge them a little bit but to to your question about what do I look for i look I look for classic you know, underdog stories, triumph over adversity, uh, something that audiences really can relate relate to. And I know certainly we, you know, I recommend your book a lot. Um, I'm looking for heroes that audiences can root for, can get on that journey with, uh, and that that achieve something significant by the end of the ride.
0: Well, and and thank you so much, because I know that you have recommended Beating Broadway to many people, and I'm uh, deeply grateful for that. Um, So is there a difference in the way that you produce a musical rather than a drama or a comedy, or is it pretty much the same thing?
1: Well, producing a musical versus producing a drama is is very different primarily just because of the number of people in a room. You know, I often say that producing a musical or creating a musical is like trying to get 10 people to paint the Mona Lisa. (laughs) You, You know, one person says, I want it to be this brushstroke. Another person says, what about this color? Another person says, it should be in a black metal frame. Like you have all these different viewpoints on the best way to present the art. And that's why it's so hard. So getting everyone on the same page and thinking, no, it should be this kind of paint, and I agree in this frame, yes, and in this museum, like that's, that's the challenge. And as a producer, your job is to really get everyone to agree that they're painting the same picture. And not to mention and, there's
0: all these disparate elements in it between the music and the lyrics and the, and the acting and all the costumes and scenery. It's really it's quite different, is it not?
1: That's exactly right, whereas a drama might be one set, five people, and certainly one writer, right? One person nice. sitting down at their keyboard and tapping it out. If you got an issue, you go to that writer. Unlike Hollywood, actually, you know, Hollywood, certainly there's a bunch of people that are involved in making movies. And... It's, but there's not even one writer there. They'll fire a screenwriter ten times over and hire ten other people until they get it oh, right. Don't, 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 I it. Do that. don't I know it?
0: Don't I know it? I mean, I spent a long time out there dealing with that kind of mentality, and it it certainly is uh, difficult for the artist. That's for sure. And but, but producers have a good deal more control of the art in Hollywood than they I think that they do in Broadway you correct me if i'm wrong i mean you you clearly have some degree of control over it but the 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 a difference in copyright protection is totally different in the two
1: worlds that's right it's the biggest differentiator in our two business models and that hollywood they buy you there's a very famous quote and i you know it's one of those mythological quotes i think about who which which writer actually said it but someone said writing for hollywood is like driving your script to the nevada california border and tossing it to the other side <laughs> and, the, and that's what it's like they can do whatever they want to that script they can fire you as a screenwriter they they buy it they own it yep. forever
0: yeah that is a fact.
1: So, and on broadway it's obviously much different we as a producer just license the script and if we we can't change the title if unless the author agrees to change the title we can't force line change, all those things.
0: How often have you been in a situation, whether I guess with yourself, but more importantly with other writers, have you, uh, for lack of a better word, commissioned or, or got involved at the ground floor on a show and helped writers develop a show?
1: Well, I do an awful lot of that, both one through my primary job of producing and developing shows, whether it's some ideas I started myself, like my show, Getting the Band Back Together, which is about a 40-year-old guy that loses his job in the financial crisis, has to move back in with his mom in New Jersey. On his first day back home, he runs into his best friend who he hasn't seen in 20 years, the friend says, dude, you're back in town. You know what we should do? We should put the band back together. So I developed that concept and then brought in a composer slash lyricist. I actually developed the story using actors and improvisation. So I... That's one way I've done it. I've done it with other people years ago. For example, I said I wanted a hip-hop musical long before Hamilton. I found a writer, a couple of writers put them together in a room and said, come up with something. Let's see if we can grow something up. We did not. Uh, so there's all sorts of ways, ways to do it. And then, of course, I do a lot of coaching and consulting with writers and, and dramaturgical work, helping them with their ideas and their early scripts and fleshing them out and getting them to a better pace better place creatively, and then also f- helping them find logistically a way to get their show from the page to the stage.
0: So from a process standpoint, what would you say are the the biggest problems or difficulties or challenges in, in, in a, a newer writer trying to develop a story? I'm, I'm very curious about uh, how you look at, at folks that are maybe not so experienced.
1: Well, the first thing is that not every idea can be a musical. Like, that's the thing I I recognize the most. And look, I used to say that and mean something totally different. I used, like, for example, if someone pitched me Fun Home, and they did years ago, I would have said, like, ah, I don't think that's a musical. Really, what I was saying is that's not a Broadway musical. Now, what we know, obviously, is most certainly is. Now, I was following some more now archaic rules about what the commercial audience would their appetite be that appetite has changed and they're more accepting now of a musical set in a funeral parlor with the story about suicide etc right now that show did it it was successful commercially won the Tony Award. It didn't have a 10, 20 year run. So obviously it's commercial life is somewhat limited by its subject matter, but I'm much more open to the idea of any setting can be a musical, but not any idea. And a lot of the fundamentals that you talk about in your book, and certainly in the writer's journey, it's this idea, the biggest thing is like, is is so simple. It's that, tell me who that protagonist is and show me what they want show me what they're really struggling for and that they're going to struggle. Too often I read shows in which things are, it's, they're just kind of there. I call them like atmospheric musicals. They're just, Oh, here's people talking and here's, and not, there's no, there's no journey. There's no, I want this to happen and I'm going to do everything I can to make it happen story. And the funny thing is, as I often tell writers, is like when they don't get it, I was like, think about yourself. Don't you want your show to happen? Oh, yes, I'd do anything for it. I would so want it to be on Broadway. I was like, that's the kind of thing we need to find in your hero of the story.
0: It's, it, it, and that's, I, that's
1: I, the thing the most often missing.
0: I find this true every single day in my classes. I teach a lot of students how to write screenplays. And one of the things I have to constantly um, um, harp on is what does your story, what does your hero want, what does your protagonist want, and what do they ultimately need so that it 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 arrives at some kind of a catharsis for the audience to uh, live and breathe through that vicariously through that uh, particular character. And I know that uh, something that I you know I think is I truly believe in, and it's in the book, is this notion that the protagonist. Um, in a musical, or musicals are very much like motion picture screenplays in the way stories unfold. Do you find that to be true?
1: Yes, absolutely. I, I think that's absolutely correct and very well stated.
0: Differently, certainly, than plays. Uh, you can take a, you know, maybe my favorite play, Waiting for Gatto, and, and it, you know, the characters don't go anywhere, but yet a play can get away with that. A musical cannot.
1: Uh, certainly a musical cannot, and that's why you know, when I stumbled upon the writer's journey, I so loved it more for musicals than even some movies, especially because I think as it borrows from the ancient myths and and obviously Beating Broadway is is so similar to this in how you describe the the, the structure of a musical Myths are larger than life, just like musicals are larger than life. So I actually think all that stuff that's been that's been written about screenplays actually apply even more so to musicals because they are grander.
0: Well, Hallelujah! And they have to be. I, I, I'm so glad to hear you say that because I truly believe exactly what you're saying. And and by the way, I'm a huge fan of Christopher Vogler's book, The Writer's Journey. That's a it's spectacular and it's really. Um, It it is a a mother load of information for screenwriters and certainly for musical theater writers. Um, So let's talk about some of how you go about marketing shows. Um, What do you think that makes your take on marketing so much more successful than others? What is it that you do?
1: Well, we have a, uh, I'll tell you, we have a mission statement here that actually applies to everything we do and especially marketing. You know, when I was coming up with my mission statement for my company, which I felt I had to have because all successful companies have mission statements, so I developed this like Harvard, MBA-like mission statement that we're Davenport Theatrical is going to be the most cutting-edge, technologically advanced production and development, blah, 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 blah. And I printed this out, and I made every single person that works for me put it on their computer. So they stared at it every day so they could soak it all up. We went on a retreat that year, and... I played Davenport theatrical trivia for and The winner was going to get a massage or something. (laughs) And I, when's my birthday? What was the first show I produced? What's our mission statement? And there were crickets. No one could remember it. And it was printed on their computer. So I knew something was wrong. So I went like that night to my room and, for like two hours, whiteboarded and brainstormed about like what's really at the core of what we do. And the next day I announced our new mission statement, which was simply this. We do shit that other people don't. (laughs) That's it. That's simple. And if you look at all the things that I've done, you can really connect the dots on all of it. Whether that be blogging, no other commercial Broadway producers blog, podcast, same thing, creating a board game. There wasn't a Broadway board game. Producing Spring Awakening, right? Uh, The Deaf West production, there hadn't been anything like that in a commercial Broadway production before. Macbeth with Alan Cumming, no one actually, literally, they asked six other people to do that show before it got to me. And when I found that out, I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. So I look for things that are exceptionally unique and that stand out. That's the other that's the other way that I pick shows. And I let the shows market themselves that way.
0: But that's got to be, you have to have a certain amount of, I mean, clearly you have an, an amazing gut instinct for what you think is going to work and not. Um, there, there's, I'm, I guess what I'm asking, there really is no formula to this. This is something that you just have to feel out, or is there a formula?
1: Well, I always have to find the unique way into things. Like, for example, I'll tell you, last year we produced Daddy Longlegs. Daddy Longlegs off Broadway, this beautifully charming musical, you know, written by John Caird and Paul Gordon. John directed uh, Les Mis. Uh, Paul Gordon wrote Jane Eyre. Beautiful little piece. And if you get a chance to see it, it's now playing all over the place or get the cast recording. It's fantastic. I couldn't like I was like I love this piece I'm producing it but what am I going to make it do with it from a marketing perspective to make it stand out. It's two people, it's so sweet, it's like this downton abbey type musical but it's just so traditional. So what did I do? I live streamed it. Daddy Longlegs was the first show to ever be live streamed from New York City. Wow. Right? Yeah we 150,000 people tuned in, we did it for free, 135 countries, got tremendous press. Like that was my marketing angle to make something so traditional not traditional, something that could have felt a little dusty, an old novel set in 1912, only two people, like that to some audience members could sound dull. So what I did was try to make it interesting by adding some new technology and get it to stand out in the press, because there was no other way they were going to write about it. And, so, and, yeah, yes, it's gut, but when I, what my job is as a producer is how do I find something so unique that it's going to make the show stand out on its own.
0: And, and do you, are you able to um, quantify the results? Are you able to say, okay, that really worked in one way or another?
1: Well, certainly, like I said, we know uh, 150,000 people tuned into that show. sure. That show is in a 150, not even 130 seat theater, right? I put in about, maybe if I sold it out, 1,000 people a week. Wow. It would take me three years of sellout audiences to match what I got in one night. Wow. That's in a massive word of mouth steroid shot. Sure. Right? Okay. Plus the press, plus we had people. And then, so that's the quantitative stuff that I can point to. And then anecdotally, Well, first of all, quantitatively, we had developed a huge email list as a result, and we blasted those people. They bought tickets. And then I had tons of people. My actors, people were recognizing them on the street. I saw you in the live stream. I saw you in the live stream. Well, that's that's,
0: that's a big success. And has it helped in the aftermarket where it's out in licensing and so on? Has it helped that way too?
1: Without a doubt, because more people are aware of it all over the world now. People got to see it in countries that have theaters there and be like, oh, now I can put that on my radar.
0: So, Okay, so as you're looking for material, what percentage of your time do you think is spent in acquisition? What percentage of your time do you think is spent in development? And then how, what percentage of your time is spent in production?
1: Well, it varies a little bit because shows are in and out of production and, they, you know, and the ramp-up requires more work so right now i'm probably probably a third production a third like actively developing shows that are that we've acquired the rights to and then a third of research and development on new ideas but that's going to shift tremendously this week i announced on my blog that I'm doing once in this island on Broadway in the fall. So every day that passes, we're going to get more and more. The, the shift, of the scale is going to go more and more towards in production until I get to the fall, where I'll be, you know, sixty, seventy percent production.
0: And and so what absolutely boggles my mind because I'm, I'm kind of, I mean, I'm in a business now as a teacher where I have to juggle a lot of different things at one time. But you clearly are juggling so many projects at one time. Do you have a particular secret? Do you keep a board on your wall to keep them all straight? Or how do you keep it all straight? <laughs> uh,
1: well, l- literally the two tools I use, yes, I have them staring at it right now. I have a sticky on my computer desktop <laughs> with every single project that I'm working on, my slate, my sticky. And then the other thing, it's such a simple, it's a free tool, and anyone looking to get organized, I use this web-based to do uh tool called toodle do, which has been a lifesaver because I can sort by folders and et cetera. And they just keeps me on track with what everything I need to do every day. And, you know, it's very easy to get, to think about these big projects that we want to do, create a musical, right? Produce, write a show, whatever that is. And it's so easy to go like, I can't figure that out. How do I write a musical? Well, I break it down into very simple, simple steps. Sure. Like, and I do this with a lot of my console clients and coaching clients is forget about the thought of writing a musical. It's almost too big for anyone to comprehend.
0: Oh, it's, it's a massive undertaking. There's no doubt.
1: Right. So I break it down into like, think about like, you know, get milk, pick up dry cleaning, all those things. So one day we'll be, you know, pick a title, write a uh, first opening scene description, write scene number one. Like I just get very specific about anything I need to do. Call an author to see if rights are available for X show. Come up with a list of 10 people that could write, I don't know, Bottled Water the Musical or whatever I'm working on that day. So Are, are, I are, just you, make, try
0: to, are you making Bottled Water the Musical anytime soon? You,
1: you heard it here first. <laughs> it's my big reveal <laughs> as I stare at this bottle of water on my desk.
0: Delicious water. <laughs>
1: Yes, Um, I I think that would be one of those musicals where nothing really happened.
0: Do Do you ever find you have so much going on you don't know what to do first?
1: No, I'm pretty good, and this is where my tools and my systems, like whenever I don't know what to do, and I'm staring at that right now, I print out this list of every day of what I need to do next, and I just look at it, okay, cross something off the list, cross something off the list. Because I know if I'm constantly crossing stuff off the list, then I'm moving the ball down the field. Maybe one day I'm moving it down a quarter of a yard. Maybe another day I'm moving it down 10 yards. Maybe another day I get sacked and I get pushed back, but I'll just put something else on the list the next day to try to creep back towards the line of scrimmage. So that's what it's about. It's about always just having something to do so that you're never like, oh, God, what what do I do next? The,
0: the one thing that is... Abundantly evident in speaking to you is just how passionate you are about this business. And I, I tell my students, you can't go into the entertainment industry without having this burning passion. And that I can clearly hear in your voice constantly.
1: Yeah, I'm very lucky. I love what I do. I wake up every day, every morning, and I get to work in uh, my hobby. I mean, I love going to musicals.
0: So you're not, you're not you shows. You're, you're, you're not really working, you're playing all the time.
1: Yeah, my my very cheesy line is a lot of people say to me, you're a workaholic and I say, I'm not a workaholic, I'm a loveaholic <laughs> because I, I I love what I do, it's not work. It's ridiculous. I mean, I I sometimes can get paid for producing shows, so it's uh it's great what kind of better life would there would there be than that? And you know, I get to meet and deal with some people that have been unbelievably inspirational to me and uh, you know, I'm very fortunate enough to have been tapped by Andrew Lloyd Webber to be his executive producer awesome. for his North American stuff, and yeah, you know, I sit down with Andrew and, and talk about musical theater, and that's that's pretty amazing for a guy that whose first Broadway show was Phantom of the Opera. Uh, so, yeah, I'm 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 very lucky, and I also I'm a lifer. I'm going to do this. For the rest of my life, I love the theater, and I I think it helps make the world a better place. So I'm just going to keep on doing it.
0: Well, uh, and and we all expect you to because you're you're actually pushing so many wonderful uh, things that are you know pressing the envelope of what needs to be done, and that's really really great. T- t- do you have one kind of astonishing but true story from something you've produced that would you know be very uh, revealing or interesting or inspiring?
1: Well, there are many many astonishing true stories. I think the, let me stall for a little bit while I try to think of some by saying the, the one thing that always amazes me because I've produced, you know, 20 something shows now and I, every time I like green light a show, like I say, okay, once in the silent, yep, here we go. We're going to raise the millions of bucks. We're going to do this thing. I say to myself like, oh yeah, uh, you know, we'll be fine. We've done this before. We know how to produce a show. ha, Every show is so different, so different. Everyone has its own different DNA from its creative team to its marketing challenges. It's all different. And that's what's challenging but also very exciting because no two days in what I do is ever alike.
0: You're always reinventing the wheel, which has got to keep it fresh for you
1: yeah you have to I mean this is an unbelievably competitive landscape i mean i'm I, I'm staring right now down uh, out of my office window at Times Square and just looking at all the billboards for all the shows fighting for the the customers that are walking through Times Square and if you 're not reinventing yourself, if you're not making your shows unbelievably unique or your marketing unique, then you're going to be lost and not even going to be able to afford a billboard so you you have to be doing something different. <laughs>
0: What would you say is the toughest decision you've ever had to make, assuming you can speak about it?
1: The toughest decision to make is when to close a show. Mm -hmm. You know, and one of the best pieces of advice I ever got is that there's no shame in closing a show. You know, it's very easy to get wrapped up in the emotion Mm -hmm. of the theater because, let's face it, that's why we got into it. No one gets into the business for the money. I always laugh, actually, whenever we get into some difficult union negotiation because the unions are in the press and we'll always say, oh, the producers are just being greedy. They, there's not a single producer that got into this business to make money. If we were looking to make money, we'd be doing a ton of other things. <laughs> Can sure. you make money? Sure, for sure. But that's not why we're here. We just want to get shows up. That's all that we want to do. Yeah, to, so,
0: to really make money on Broadway, you have to hit the lotto a little bit.
1: Yeah, it's about luck. It's about right time and right place. And, you know, I'm convinced that a lot of people who, if you actually listen to my podcast, and uh, a lot of these producers that I've talked to that have had big hits had no idea that it was going to be big or as big as it got. They just kept on doing the work. And that's really my philosophy is do stuff you love, pick stuff you love, produce the heck out of it, And if you do enough of it, and if you keep doing that, eventually something will catch up on you.
0: Well, for sure, um, there's no way that Steve Kudin and Frank Wildhorn sitting in a little one-bedroom apartment in uh, Westwood, California in 1980 would have ever dreamed that Jekyll and Hyde has done what it's done. So you don't think that way. You just think this is fun to do.
1: Yeah, and actually the the few moments I've said, I'm going to do this project because I think it will make money – it's never worked out.
0: You're dead in the water at that point. You got to do it for yourself and for fun and for, you know, trying to try just trying to impress yourself, I think.
1: Yeah, that's that's exactly right. That's exactly right. You have to again think like you're that 16-year-old kid and what does he want to see and what would he get home and tell all his friends about and that's what you have to tap into, something that you really work on because you're excited about it.
0: Well, we, we are very fortunate that we've been speaking to Ken Davenport, one of Broadway's greatest producers, uh, for the last uh, bit of time here on Story Beat. And um, we're coming to the end of the, the show today, Ken, and thank you so much. Do you, do you have perhaps one good piece of solid advice to give to uh, our crowd out there?
1: Of course. Look, I, I think the, the biggest thing you can do if you want to do something in this business is just start is just do something. A lot of people tell me or ask me, how do I be a producer? Because they think that they need to raise millions of dollars. Or, you know, a college kid can be a producer by having a Shakespeare reading series in their dorm room every Friday night. Grab some friends and read Romeo and Juliet, right? Yep. If you're a playwright, get some, write a play, get some friends to your living room, order some pizza, read your play, Rental. do something, just get started. It doesn't have to be huge, it doesn't have to be on Broadway. You want to write a play, sit down and write a page. Write a 10-minute play first, but get started, do something. Because once you get started, I'm a big believer in this, I'm about to publish it in, in, in a book of mine, that Physics and science takes over, and an object in motion tends to stay in motion. Too many people don't accomplish the things they want to accomplish in life because they just don't get started. Get yourself in motion. You'll be amazed at what happens afterwards.
0: Just do it. You're absolutely right. Just get in there and do it.
1: That's right. That's right.
0: Ken, thank you so much for spending time with us, especially a couple of days before you open a new show on Broadway. I'm I'm truly grateful to you, and, uh, you know, I look forward to seeing you uh, when I'm in New York, and, and, um, you know, best wishes break a leg on Sunday with uh, Groundhog Day.
1: Thank you very much.
0: All right, take care. Thanks. Bye-bye. Today's story beat tip of the day. Like everything else in life that's of value, the act of becoming a screenwriter who is worthy of being produced takes much more time and far more diligence than most people imagine. In order to become a great screenwriter, you must understand and master storytelling fundamentals, something that may take many years of hard work. Multi-millionaire baseball players constantly work on their fundamentals, hitting, fielding, pitching, developing strategy, working as a team, getting into top physical shape, Great doctors, business people, teachers, lawyers, entertainers, engineers, pilots, chefs, and on and on must first develop their talents. No one is born an expert on anything. So why would anyone expect writers to have it any other way? For most screenwriters, it takes nothing less than pounding out many thousands of pages before they develop into storytellers that producers seek. And no matter how successful you may become, Don't stop studying and working on the basics. That's what will keep you sharp and give you an edge over your fellow scribes. Mastering the storytelling fundamentals will set both you and your writing free. And so we've come to the end of today's Story Beat. This podcast would not have been possible without the tremendous support of the Center for Media Innovation on the campus of Point Park University. Special thanks go to Ashley Murray for her tireless assistance in helping to put this program together. Until next time, I'm Steve Cuden and may all your stories be unforgettable.